when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, David. listening to just pod baby a las vegas raiders podcast brought to you by silver and black and now your host evan Grote. and let's go raider nation welcome to just pod baby part of the silver and black today media group we'll come at you this week with the week 11 recap episode the raiders lost a hard fought divisional game to the chiefs on sunday night football it was an absolute heartbreaker but the raiders earned a lot of respect and proved once again that they are a team to be reckoned with this year Support for Just Pod Baby is brought to you by our sponsors at Manscaped. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever. Go out and get yourself the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. It features a cutting edge ceramic blade. It's waterproof, so you can bring it in the shower with you. It's got a cool LED light on it. I'm telling you right now, you don't want to miss out on this premium product. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PODBABY. Let's bring in our co-host now. He is our senior columnist at Silver and Black Today, and he is a featured columnist at Bleacher Report. But most important, he joins us every Monday night here on Just Pod Baby. He is the other half of the East Coast division of Silver and Black Today, Momo and Mo. I, I see there's been a, not to get the show started off on a negative note, but I see there's been a slight <laughs> uptick in the COVID cases in New York City. I you know, I used to live out there myself and, and teach out there. I see they closed the schools down now, but otherwise, how are things uh, out in your neck of the world? Woods. Going well. I'm preparing for a nice Thanksgiving. I got all my avocado smoothies lined up. I got the black rice lined up. I'm going to be heating up my potato salad. So that's going to be uh, some good stuff coming up this week. Speaking of the COVID cases, there are some COVID, a lot of COVID cases going on going on in the NFL too a lot of guys placed on the on the COVID-19 list some big names too like Adam Thielen I believe the Ravens have two running backs on the list so there's a spike across the country I believe and uh we're bracing ourselves for a, a pretty uh could be a really interesting stretch down uh for the NFL season in the last four, five six weeks yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of running rampant right now across the country, and it's really starting for the first time. We're really starting to see it uh, make an impact on the NFL. And I, when I was on the radio last week with Scott, uh, we, we talked about this a little bit. And I, and I think the NFL has kind of gotten lucky up until this point. They, they've really avoided any major catastrophes with the schedule. But uh, I'm starting to, to get a little bit fearful of what could happen here with all these cases. I, I know another one uh, with the Ravens. I heard the Ravens have a lot of cases within their organization. Um, J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram are two of the guys who they said tested positive for COVID. So hopefully the, uh, you know they can keep things on the right track and, and just keep getting these games in. Yeah, and, and hopefully the Raiders can avoid any more outbreaks because we all know the Raiders have had their storylines with COVID this season. Absolutely, and we're going to talk about some of that uh, once we get into the show here. But um, be, before we get into the recap, I, I do want to, and of course the, the heartbreaking loss to the Chiefs last night in Sunday mm-hmm. Night Football, uh, there is some news that I want to uh, get to uh, briefly before we begin. First of all, uh, John Gruden announced today that Richie Incognito, uh, his season would be over. He did have have uh, surgery on that foot. Uh, so it will be Denzel good as your starting left guard for the remainder of the season. And, you know, he's really filled in nicely, but, but still it's a major bummer. Uh, I, I personally was hoping to get, you know, incognito back with Trent Brown back at some point and get this offensive line back to full strength, but it's not going to happen. 
Yeah, there was hope that the Raiders would once and for all have all their offensive linemen play a full game, which they haven't done together this season because of Trent Brown's uh, COVID case and his injury with the calf. And he was, as we just talked about, Richie Incognito being out. Um, but Richie Incognito was a Pro Bowl alternate last year. He had a pretty good season. And he he would have been a great piece of the offensive line. As you mentioned, good thing Denzel Good is playing well. It's another good thing that Brendan Parker is playing well because now you don't have to move Denzel Good out to right tackle just in case Trent Brown can't come back right away. So uh, the Raiders have some depth there. Kudos again to Tom Cable for getting those guys coached up. They'll be fine without Richie Incognito. Of course, we want him back in that lineup. But uh, as a whole, the offensive line should be okay down the stretch. Yeah, and you know, I do, I do wonder what this means for uh, Incognito's career. I mean, he's an older guy, and I and I'm pretty sure he, he had a two year deal with the Raiders. So I think yep. he's got one more year remaining. But uh, you know, at that age, you know, recovering from injury, it's just it's you know, it's not the same. So you know, I know I today's my birthday. I actually turned 37 today, so I'm getting up there myself, Mo. Oh, happy birthday, Evan! I, you know, what? I for, I totally forgot. I read your tweet yesterday, and I and I read you said um you wanted a an early birthday gift from the Raiders and maybe get it a win. I know it didn't happen, but still, happy birthday! Yeah, no, no problem. Thank, yeah, thank you, thank you. So you know, like I said, I, I know what it's like when you get these little these little injuries. You don't recover <laughs> as fast as you used to. You know, when you when you're when we're young men. But can, can you play left guard though? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Maybe a little quarterback. I was a high school quarterback, so if they need me okay. for that, which I don't think they do right now because Carr's playing really well. But <laughs> anyhow, the second piece of news that I want to mention uh, is that the Raiders claimed Tack McKinley today as well as added Vic Beasley to the practice squad. Now, um, obviously, Mike Mack is still looking for some help uh, with that pass rush. And uh, to me, McKinley is, is the more intriguing player of the two. I know a lot of people out there on Raiders Twitter were were hoping this move would happen. He had to. Uh, he was actually claimed by two other teams, but but failed the physical. So I'm not quite sure what, where he stands, you know, health wise and. and physically but you know he's only 25 years old and he's a former first round pick 16 and a half sacks in his first three years in the league what do you think about these two additions I'm actually a little more excited for Vic Beasley only because he had eight sacks last year in 2018 down most of his sacks came down to stretch but um he 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 has some spark if he can get on the field. He had a weird offseason. He reported to the Titans late. Didn't play much when he did report. So I, I'm hoping he can he can find what he had in the second half of the 2019 season. Tech McKinley, I'm a little skeptical. A lot of a lot of Raiders fans are claiming he grew up a Raider fan and he failed those other uh, physicals on purpose so the Raiders can claim him. I'm not buying that because <laughs> I didn't see fail, that. I didn't see yeah, that. People were saying that. Yeah, people there. You know, people are saying, "Well, he's a he grew up a Raider fan. He's trying to get to the Raiders, so he failed two physicals." And I, again, I'm not buying that because if he fails two physicals, how does he know that the Raiders are still going to want him after failing those physicals? It just doesn't make sense to me because you're rolling the dice there. If you're if that's your goal to get to the Raiders, which is the third pick, which is the third uh, claim, I, again, I I know he grew up. I, I get it, and who he's friends with, who he maybe cheered for as a kid, whatever. Um, I'm not buying that story. I'm a little, again, I'm a little skeptical because he was a bit of an issue on social media, kind of calling out the Falcons on his way out. So uh, a lot of people didn't want, I'm not comparing him to Earl Thomas who got into a fight, but a lot of people's like, well, we don't want any more headaches in the locker room. And 
I'm not saying Tag McKinley is a huge headache, but this is a, again, this is a guy who called out the team who, who employed him, had him on the roster. So uh, I'm a little skeptical. Let's we'll see if he passes his physical. If he does, hopefully he can bring something to that pass rush. Yeah. Now, how, how soon do you think if McKinley does pass the physical and, and assuming Vic Beasley's in somewhat decent shape, how, how soon do you think it is before we see either one of these guys maybe up with the, the 53 man roster? Should be a lot faster than what David Irving had to go through only because both these guys have played this season. It wasn't like, um, you know, they, they were out for, for multiple seasons like David Irving was. So I would say I would, I wouldn't expect them to play this Sunday against the Falcons who happens to be their both their former teams. They were teammates with the Falcons uh, for a few years, but I think that if they both make it on the roster, Vic Beasley is already on the practice squad. If McKinley passes his physical, I think they can both play by week 13. The Tack McKinley revenge game and Vic Beasley revenge game. Yeah. Put him on the like roster. A, put him put him in there. Yeah, I, I, that's what people are thinking. People are like, well, the Bears are playing, you know, chestnut checkers. Again, I don't think they'll play against the Falcons this weekend because it's a quick turnaround, you know, with all the physicals and everything that has to go through. But I think they, they would, again, they wouldn't have to wait as long as David Irving because they have been active this season. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good stuff there. All right, I think we got you all caught up with the uh, news and notes from Monday. Uh, Now we're going to turn our attention to the recap. So if you're ready to go, we'll get it started, Mo. Ready to go. All right. If you were a fan of offense and this game was was for you, much like the first game, it was a high-scoring affair. The Raiders took the opening kickoff, and after two Josh Jacobs carries, Derek Carr floated one up to Darren Waller along the sideline on third and five for a gain of 26 yards. Now, following that play, Nelson Aguilar was on the receiving end of a 29-yard reception, taking the ball down to the Kansas City 15-yard line. Two Josh Jacobs runs later, and the Raiders took an early 7-0 lead. Now, Mo, it was an impressive opening drive for the Raiders. It was a good mix of run and pass, and it really set the tone for the offense for the entire game. Yeah, definitely. Two runs for Jacobs, a 29-yard to Aguilar, 26-yard to Waller is exactly what you wanted to see from the Raiders. Not too run-heavy, not too pass-happy, a nice mix to keep the Chiefs off balance. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense would take the field starting at their own 15-yard line and would go on a long, time-consuming drive, 14 plays, 85 yards. That was capped off by a three-yard touchdown pass from Patrick Mahomes to Tyreek Hill. Mahomes to Hill was the common theme on the drive. The pair connected five times for 35 yards, including the touchdown. Now, Mo, Mahomes was getting it done with short, quick, intermediate passes. In fact, the longest completion was only 14 yards on that drive. Yeah, I think they wanted to test Nicholas Moore a little bit, and Evan Lawson was filling in for um, LaMarcus Joint, who's on the COVID list. But they, as you can see, they wanted to get the ball out of Mahomes' hands. And if you if you did your research, you know that the Raiders have the fourth most missed tackles in the league. I believe 79 missed tackles, according to Pro Football Reference. So again, you want to get the ball to your playmaker's hands to see if the Raiders can make the stop. And uh, the Chiefs were able to move the ball, as you said, 14-play drive to kind of bleed the clock a little bit early, but get the score to tie it up. Yeah, long methodical drives would be uh, something you would see a lot from the, the Chiefs in the game. Now, with the score tied at 7-all, Carr and company would look to respond with another scoring drive of their own, and that's exactly what they would do. Hunter Renfro hauled in a 16-yard reception to move the ball into Kansas City territory, followed by a 7-yard gain on 3rd and 3 to Darren Waller. Alec Ingold got in on the fun as well with an 11-yard catch and run of his own, and it all set up a beautiful pass from Carr to Aguilar in the back of the end zone. Mo, I believe we called this a Derek Dime. Talk to us about the play. 
Yeah, definitely a Derek Dime. Uh, he makes it first of all. He makes the checks at the a check at the line of scrimmage and it sounds like he says we got to go fishing uh you can listen to the audio if you want check on that but that's what it sounds like he says but um Aguilar didn't run a special route in this one he just kind of ran outside and shot breathing fell uh which left him open and Derek Carr as we said throws a dime to Aguilar in the corner for the play it was Aguilar's sixth touchdown on the year, and he continues to make to make Mike uh, Mayock look like a genius for for bringing him in and signing him. Now, early in the second quarter, trailing 14 to seven, the Chiefs took over on their own 27-yard line, and it didn't take it didn't take long this time. Seven plays in only three minutes and 44 seconds. The big play was Mahomes to Travis Kelsey for 21 yards, moving the ball uh, from the Las Vegas 37-yard line to the Las Vegas 16. The Chiefs were also aided by a couple of Raiders penalties, in particular a defensive pass interference called on Damon Arnett. It was an 18-yard penalty that moved the ball to the three-yard line. Clyde Edwards-Alaire took it in from the three-yard line to tie the score at 14-14. Now, the Raiders would add a Daniel Carlson 35-yard field goal on their next possession to make the score 17-14. The offense drove all the way down the field to the Kansas City one-yard line, and on third down, Carr went with the fade route to Brian Edwards that was incomplete. After the play, though, the Raiders' sideline was called for an unsportsmanlike penalty that moved the ball back 15 yards and, and really left Gruden with no option at that point but to kick the field goal. Uh, but, Mo, I was a little confused with the penalty at the time. Uh, what was the deal that, that you've heard with the, with the sideline uh, penalty? Well, during the broadcast, um, Al Michael said it was uh, a penalty on the on the Raiders' bench. He mentioned that um, one of the coaches had stepped outside of the coach's box. Gruden today, his presser, he took this one on the chin and he said it was him. He stepped outside of the coach's box and he called it a foolish penalty. And it was a foolish penalty because it backed the Raiders from 4th and 1 to 4th and 16. Of course, as, as we know, Carlson had to kick the field goal there. It was an easy choice at that point. But yeah, Gruden basically put it on his shoulders and said it was him. He shouldn't have stepped out of the coach's box. Gruden did also admit today during his press conference that he would have kicked the field goal regardless if it was uh, mm-hmm. at the one-yard line anyhow. Uh, both teams would trade punts on their next possessions, and then the Chiefs would get the ball back with 124 left on the clock before half, all three timeouts in their pocket at their own 13-yard line. Again, it was a lot of quick, short throws with some run after the catch. Travis Kelsey caught a ball, broke with Damon Arnett arm tackle, and rumbled 10 yards out of bounds into Raiders territory. But the key play for the uh, – for the on the drive uh, came five plays later on first and 10 from the Raiders 14 yard line Patrick Mahomes was intercepted by Trayvon Mullen at the three yard line to end the half and prevent the Chiefs from taking a lead it was a big play in the game Mo what did you see yeah, this was a miscommunication between Mahomes and Demar- uh, Demarcus Robinson. Mahomes starts out going, looking left to Tyreek Hill. Then he goes right to Demarcus Robinson, who breaks in, but the ball goes outside. Mullen, who slipped on the play, leaps up off his knees to get that interception. It's a big play for him, but it's a, just a rare miscommunication you see between Mahomes and his receiver, which allowed Mullen to make the play. Really quick, just a Jeopardy question for you guys. Um, Mahomes has been picked off twice this season. Both times by the Raiders, Jeff Heath in Week 5 and Trayvon Mellon yesterday. That's a good point there, Mo. Now, the Raiders took a 17-14 lead into the half, and the Chiefs would receive the ball first to begin the second half. 
after an illegal double team block penalty that was assessed against the Chiefs, they would begin this drive on their own seven yard line. But that would not matter. The Chiefs could not be stopped on this drive. Eight yards here, 10 yards there, four yard run by Edwards or Lair, five yard runs by Edwards or Lair, 14 yard catch by Tyree Kill. The Las Vegas defense was on the field for a very long time uh, during this drive that took up half of the third quarter before Edwards or Lair finally scored from 14 yards out to give the Chiefs the 21 17 advantage. It was his second score of the game. Mo, everyone talks about the Chiefs as this big play, explosive, quick scoring uh, type of team, but they showed Sunday night that they can be very methodical. Yeah, absolutely. And again, as I mentioned earlier, I think it was a test to see if the Raiders would make their stops or would they miss some tackles. Also, you got to understand teams with that don't have dominant ground attacks sometimes do this with high percentage throws where they just uh, throw short and let the playmakers do the heavy lifting. And and Chiefs have, have several of those guys, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, even Le'Veon Bell had a touchdown yesterday. So uh, the Chiefs have the means to, do, to either go explosive or, or go short and methodical as they did yesterday. With 6.29 remaining in the third quarter, trailing for the first time in the game, the Raiders went on a long, time-consuming drive of their own. In fact, each team only possessed the ball one time in the third quarter. You don't see that very often. Darren Waller added a 16-yard reception, 7 yards to Aguilar, 9-yard catch by Jacobs, and the Raiders were now in Chiefs territory. On third and six, it was guess who? Hunter Renfro for 21 yards down to the Kansas City 3-yard line. On the second play from goal, Gruden came up with a great design to free up Waller for his fifth touchdown on the year. Mo, Mo talk us through the play. Yeah, Carr starts this off pre-snap. He motions uh, Rugs. He sends Rugs in motion, and Tyron Matthew follows him across the formation. There's another defender on the outside, so there are two defenders on Rugs. And Ben Neiman, I, I watched him on this play. He just loses track of Waller, who just strays out to the left. And Wall is wide open for the touchdown. So a little miscommunication on the Chiefs there. The two defenders on rugs and Ben Neiman losing his man in the middle of the field. This one felt like a heavyweight fight going back and forth. There were several lead changes throughout the game. Now in the fourth quarter, the Raiders defense finally forced a punt for only the second time all game. Max Crosby busted through the line for a tackle for a loss on first down. A false start penalty on third down backed the Chiefs up and made it a third and 16. Nicholas Morrow made a really nice play on third and 16 to to get his hands on the ball and, and to break up the pass. Unfortunately for the Raiders, after a really stellar night on offense, after they got the ball back, uh, they were not able to take advantage of, uh, because on third and four, Carr went up top to an open Nelson Aguilar, and he dropped what would have been a huge gain for the Raiders, could have really changed the dynamic of the game if they were able to score on the drive, but instead, they had to punt it away back to the Chiefs again, um, leading 24-21 with 11.47 to go in the game. Mo, I saw some of the tweets you were putting out last night after the game about Nelson Aguilar and, and the issues that he had in Philly and how they're slowly starting to show up here in Las Vegas. Yeah, people kind of came at me on Twitter because they thought I was being too harsh on Nelson Aguilar, and I, I, I don't take that back. Um, during the Tampa Bay game, it started where he had, I believe, two drops in that game, and then uh, last week against Denver, he had a drop in the end zone. So I, I wasn't saying that he was stone hands all over again, but what I was saying was that his 
drop issues were starting to become an issue and we saw it he he can he'll have some great plays i'll admit that yes he'll have some great plays he's outplayed his contract as you said earlier lead the team with leading the team with six touchdown receptions but there are times where you've got to have those plays especially on third down if if, if aguilar catches that pass at around the chiefs 30 yard line all the race can go up maybe two scores on that drive and and possibly put the chiefs in in a, in a precarious position but instead Aguilar drops a pass and Gruden mentioned it during his presser. He said Carr had thrown four to four or five magnificent passes that they could have caught but didn't. I believe two were for Aguilar and two were for Alec Engel and the Raiders just missed opportunities. Definitely. There's been some drops in the past couple games that have definitely hurt hurt the offense for sure. Now, would it be too much for the defense to, to come up with another stop? Yes, it would be because, again, the Chiefs could not be stopped. 91-yard drive down the field. It was just too easy for them. But there was one play in particular that I want to talk about during that drive. It was a third and five from the Kansas City 14-yard line. Tyreek Hill caught a pass for a gain of 15 yards. And then to make things worse, Jonathan Abram hits Hill as he was way out of bounds and gets called for an unsportsmanlike tack on another 15. The penalty plus the catch moved the ball uh, to the KC 44-yard line. And Mo, you know, we will talk a little bit more about... um, Abram and some of the plays that he made in this game but and I know he's young but he has shown to be very undisciplined at times and and it hurts the team and this was an example of it yeah you don't want to see I mean you tell guys to play through the whistle I mean that was a little too much for the too much for the liking but I mean this is what this is who Abram is right now I'm not saying he can't grow out of this but sometimes you're going to have to take the good and the bad we'll talk more about him but with Abram and his play right now as he is playing just playing his 10th game he's still pretty much a rookie still learning he's going to have to take this foot off the pedal but and this is the way he plays. Sometimes he only plays at one speed, and, and you got again, you got to take the good with the bat with him right now. Definitely. He's still very green. I think some of us tend to forget that, myself included. Now, the defense did have a shot to get off the field, but the Chiefs converted on a fourth and two from the Las Vegas 48-yard line, and five plays later, Le'Veon Bell scored his first touchdown as a Chief. With the score now 28-24, Kansas City, Derek Carr had a chance to lead his team on a game-winning drive with only 5.56 left to go in the game. I'm going to skip ahead now to the big play with 2.16 on the clock. The Raiders were driving from the Chiefs' 23-yard line, and Carr decided to go deep over the middle to Nelson Aguilar again. Carr was under some heavy pressure and just barely got this throw off. He was backpedaling. Aguilar was not able to come up with a catch, but there was a flag on the play. Defensive pass interference. The ball was placed at the one-yard line, and just a few plays later, after a false start penalty that moved the ball back, uh, it was the veteran Jason Witten who was called on the the false start. He made up for it, though, with a one-yard touchdown uh, reception. Mo, talk us through this play. Yeah, basically they faked the handoff and the Chiefs defense bit uh, on the inside, crashing on, thinking that it was going to be a run play. It wasn't. Carr kept the play alive with his legs, rolled right, found Jason Wynn, who was guarded by a defensive end, I believe it was Tano Passigno. And even though Jason Wynn is up there in age, I don't think a defensive end could keep up with him for a long period. And again, as I mentioned, Carr keeping that play alive helped him get open, and Jason Wynn gets a touchdown, someone who a lot of people thought should have made the roster this summer. Now, I'm sure uh, every Raider fan across America had the same thoughts going through their mind after the Raiders took that 31-28 lead with 1.43 left on the clock with two timeouts for Patrick Mahomes. That is way too much time. 
and we were right. All the Chiefs needed was one minute and 15 seconds to go 75 yards and seven plays for the touchdown. It was a blown coverage by Jonathan Abram. We touched on it earlier, some undisciplined play by him, kind of going rogue at times. His, his aggressiveness worked against them on that play. He saw Mahomes start to run, and Abram over-pursues and leaves his area of the field wide open for a, a Travis Kelsey game-winning touchdown. Yeah, uh, basically Patrick Mahomes stepping up in the pocket triggered uh, Abram's instincts, and basically he vacated his, his zone thinking he's going to make a play. And instead, Mahomes just fires it into Travis Kelsey for an open touchdown. You can see Damon Arnett throw his hands up like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he you know, he did what he did. The Raiders had three defenders over by Mahomes. So even if John Abram hadn't stepped up, there were two other guys to make the stop. And again, you cannot lose track of number 87 on the Chiefs, especially if he's in your area. If he's in your area, you do not vacate that spot, especially with the ball in Mahomes' hands. If you just did a little bit of research, you would know between week seven and nine, Mahomes only ran the ball once for six yards. He made a he made a point to stay in the pocket because there was some there was some talk that he was leaving the pocket a little prematurely, a little early. He was a little jittery with his legs, so he's made a point to stay in the pocket and throw the ball, and he hasn't run the ball that much before the Raiders. And, and him stepping up in the pocket, uh, again, Abram's instincts are triggered and, and he fires a touch, an easy touchdown pass. In a situation like that, you just cannot leave your zone with number 87 in the area. Yeah. And the, and the Raiders would take over with just 28 seconds to go in the game. Derek Carr threw up a jump ball to Aguilar, trying to trying to get it, let his guy make a play. The ball was intercepted, and that was all she wrote. Uh, it was a hell of an effort from the Raiders on national television, going toe-to-toe with the champs after already beating them once earlier in the season. Mo, before we get to our first break, I, I do have one thing I want to ask you about. Uh, you know, I'm not a big believer in moral victories, but I think the Raiders did very well for themselves despite the loss. I saw a lot of people in the national media giving Raiders props for, for again, going toe-to-toe with the, the reigning uh, Super Bowl champions. Even I even saw Travis Kelsey uh, made some really positive comments about the, about the Raiders. So uh, what, do you, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I'm not one for moral victories either. You either win or you lose and you move on. But, it, I mean, it is, I guess, nice to hear the national media finally give the Raiders credit for, for being, I guess, contenders, if you want to say that, because they are in the playoff hunt. But um, a, a sweep would have been nice because it would have put the division in, in, in question right there. But now pretty much we know the Chiefs, barring a, a unforeseen collapse, are going to win the AFC West. But it, what, what weirds me out is after the Raiders beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead, it seems like the national media was giving them credit. It was saying, well, what did the Chiefs do to lose this game? It wasn't the Raiders who won it. The Chiefs lost it. And then they play a close game and lose in Vegas. And it's like, oh, the Raiders are back. And I'm just like, well, if you would have been paying attention to Raiders before, you would have known this weeks ago. But it took a, a loss on the national stage, a close loss on the national stage for, for other people in the media to realize this. But, I mean, it is what it is. The Raiders have to move on. They still have to play it out. Six more games left. The AFC West is AFC conference is very uh, competitive. I tweeted about it earlier today. Nine teams vying for seven spots. So the job is not done. The Raiders have to win all of these games. They cannot look overlook any opponent. They have to, they still have to push to make the playoffs. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of football left to be played, as you said, and, and Raider fans and coaches and players need to shift the attention to getting one of those wild card spots. You said it. All right, Mo, we need to get to a break. And when we return, we will continue to dissect the, the hard fought week 11 loss to the Chiefs. And, and also we're going to look ahead to week 12 versus the Falcons. We'll be right back.
we are back here on Just Pod Baby with your host, Evan Grote and Mo Moten. We are here recapping the Week 11 loss to the Chiefs. It was a disappointing loss, uh, but Raider Nation should be feeling pretty good about the state of this team right now at 6-4, and four, right square in the mix of the, the playoff hunt. Uh, Mo, just a couple other things I want to I want to get into tonight. Let's start with the defense. We know they struggled, and we know they were basically without the entire starting lineup all week long. They did not practice. Um, they they played without a couple starters, Farrell, Joyner, and Littleton. How much of a role do you think that actually played in the defense's poor performance? I wouldn't say it played a huge role. Now, I did tweet um, when it when we found out that the defense had missed a lot of practices that players will tell you that you know you need to practice. Most players need to practice to have a you know good game on Sunday or whenever they play. So uh, maybe that played a little bit of an effect. I know people tried to bail Jonathan Abram out and say, well, if he had practice, you know, maybe he wouldn't have vacated his area and maybe the Ravens wouldn't have given up that touchdown. And I say Abram's always been kind of undisciplined at times. He lets his instincts take uh, get the best of him. Um, and, and we saw that throughout the season. So this wasn't something new that happened. I, I think Abram probably would have vacated his area whether he practiced or not this week. I don't know that for sure, but who knows? But I, I think for what the Raiders for what the Raiders had during practice, I wouldn't say they did an okay job, but I didn't notice anything out of the ordinary other than I would say Cleveland Farrell would maybe maybe have been missed on the edge because uh, the Chiefs were able to run outside, get outside, and, and Raiders didn't ha- do well with the contain. Now, yes, I know teams have run on the Raiders with Cleveland Farrell in the lineup, so it wasn't like he's the magic elixir. But as I said, you want to have all your defenders out there. You want to have all hands on deck when you're facing the reigning champions. And I think Cleveland Farrell being out there would have helped them set the edge and they wouldn't have gave up so many yards on the outside. Yeah, and, and I think I, I like I agree with your point about players and coaches are going to tell you that they need to be out there practicing. But you know, based on what we have seen all year long, and mm-hmm. even in the first it, the first meeting between these two teams, um, what, while they were at full strength, they didn't really do that much better. I mean, we saw a little bit more from the pass rush. I think they got a little bit more pressure on Mahomes. Uh, but I think the 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 bigger factor in this game was. Um, Andy Reid did a much better job of game planning, uh, as we talked about with shorter, quicker passes, getting the ball out of his quarterback's hand much quicker. I, I think that was a really effective strategy, and I think that was the bigger storyline in this game. Absolutely, because you're going to tweet the game plan from the first meeting to the second meeting. The Raiders did have five quarterback hits on Mahomes. They didn't get much pressure on him in the first half. Uh, they did in the second half. But again, as you mentioned, I, I didn't see that big of a difference as far as whether they've practiced or not. You're going to give up points to the Chiefs anyway. They're an explosive offense. There's only, only so much you can do to hold Mahomes down. But again, as we as we mentioned during the breakdown, it's, it's about discipline. It's about not committing penalties. And I agree to mention that in today's presser that he wants to cut down on the on the defensive penalties. You cannot give a team like the Chiefs or Mahomes extra opportunities to move the ball or score the or score the football. Yeah, and and the big issue continues to be with this defense: lack of pressure, and they're giving up way too many points. Twenty eight points a game, and I, I I honestly I think they're lucky to be six and four right now, really. And it goes to show you how well the offensive playing. There's just a ton of ton of pressure on the offense to have to score so much to try to to try to will the you know the team to victory. Now, speaking of the offense, I know we talked about it uh, the same topic a couple weeks ago, and 
You've written about it for silverandblacktoday.com, and I know there are a lot of people out there that are, are going to disagree with me, um, and, I, and I continue to bring it up on Twitter, and I don't want to be a negative Nancy, but I, I, this is going. I, I am concerned <laughs> with Henry Ruggs. I really am, and again, only targeted one time on Sunday night. He did add a, a jet sweep, one carry, so a two-touch night both coming in the final drive of the game. Now, let me tell you, the biggest counter-argument that I get when I when I voice my concerns out there on Twitter, uh, the uh, there's I usually get three common um, counter-arguments. Number one, people tell me not to worry because he's drawing the attention of, of the defense. He's opening up things for other players. Okay, number two, they tell me that Offense isn't the problem right now. You know, the offense is, is scoring plenty of points. And the third counter argument that I get is not to worry because the team is winning games. And yes, you know, I agree with all those things and they may be true, but, you know, I'm still worried that a player is dynamic as rugs. He, you know, he just has not been able to carve out a larger role in this offense. I mean, guys like Jason Witten and 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 Alec Ingold are being are, are, are you know are targeted more are are being more productive. Now, maybe they're not drawing the attention of defenders, but but still, I mean, you could look at it in, in two different ways. Now, me, I don't know who the blame needs to go to. If it's maybe Gruden, you know, Gruden did touch on today in his conference, you know, I need to do a better job of getting the ball to players. He didn't say who, but he didn't talk about, you know, doing a better job at that. Maybe it's Carr not having a level of trust with, with Ruggs yet. I, I don't know, but something is not right. And, and I'm not happy about it. Just Just think about what this offense could be if they could get him involved somehow. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And there's one other counter argument that I often hear because I'm with you on this. I, I feel like they need more out of Ruggs, whether the offense is humming or not. Can you imagine if Ruggs was as involved as we think he should be, what this offense could be? Uh, I, the, the other counter argument I add to this is people will tell me, well, wide receivers don't, most first round wide receivers don't pan out as rookies. And I, and I get that. And I get the Raiders didn't, no one had a full off season because of COVID. So there was no real, uh, no OTAs, uh, condensed training camp. I get that. So I'm not panicking. I, I'm just going to put that out there for people listening. I am not panicking about, about Henry Ruggs, but all I'm saying is he needs to be more involved. And if you pick a guy 12, you don't just give him one catch, one carry in a big game. And I get he's opening up the offense for others. I get it. You know, he he's, he may take some time. He's not Jerry Judy. He's not CeeDee Lamb. He's going to he's gonna develop at his own pace. I'm not going to give up on a guy because we saw the slow development of, uh, not slow, but the methodical development of Colt Miller. We're seeing Brandon Parker play better. You know, Cleveland Farrell is coming along as a run defender. Maybe not so much as a pass rusher, but he's developing. There's progress there. So I'm not going to write off rugs as some people did with those players. But again, as you as you mentioned, he should be more involved. This is Gruden's offense. They picked him as the top wide receiver in the draft. Give him the ball. But he's averaging 19.3 yards per catch. I believe he's dangerous after the catch. He can rack up uh, yards after the reception. He just needs opportunities. A guy like Carr is not going to trust Ruggs if he barely targets him per game. Get the ball in his hands. And a lot of people have said this, and I agree with this, on curls, on slants, short passes. So to develop that rapport between Carr and Ruggs so that when it's time to go deep, when it's time to go intermediate, when it's time to go short, that trust is there. You're not going to develop trust with a wide receiver if you don't target him, if he's not involved in the offense. And as you mentioned, Gruden said he has to do a better job getting guys incorporated. He didn't say rugs, 
but I'm sure we were all thinking the same thing. Henry Ruggs needs more touches, more targets in this offense. Yeah, just a couple of thoughts that I have there listening to what you were saying. Um, you know, all of these players, all of these rookie receivers had shortened off seasons. And, and look what, mm-hmm. what some of the numbers that some of these rookie wide receivers are putting up. And I think that's partly why I'm having such a difficult time with it um, is because you look around the league, Claypool and Jefferson and uh, I'm drawing a blank here, uh, you know, Judy and Michael Lamb. Pittman. 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 Yeah, I mean, there, mm-hmm. there's so many you can name. They're being so productive. Oh, um, the kid for, from Cincinnati who was a, used to play for Clemson. T. Higgins. T. Higgins. I mean, they're all, every time I look in the box score, they're all they're all doing something. <laughs> they're all being very productive. So the fact that when people want to tell me, oh, they didn't have an offseason, nobody did. Nobody did. And mm-hmm. they're still being productive. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't want people to, get to, to be mistaken. I am not concerned about the player. I love Ruggs. I, I wouldn't have taken him over Lamb or Judy, but mm-hmm. I, I like the player. I like his skill set. I just don't know. Like you said, they're not getting him involved. Now, I went back and watched the the game today and I was just looking at how the Chiefs used Tyreek Hill. Now Hill caught eleven passes for 102 yards and a touchdown. And I don't I don't have this written down anywhere. I don't you know off the top of my head, I can't think of did he have a catch for more than 30 yards the entire game? Yeah, I didn't I don't think so. No, it was a lot of short stuff, um, some screens, some quick outs, just real short stuff and letting him just make a play with it. And why, why can't Gruden use, um, uh, uh, rugs in that same way? I, I hope that maybe he'll, he'll start to do so. And just a couple other thoughts before I, I forget here. Um, and this is a little bit off topic, but I think about Cleveland Farrell, who, who now many people last year after the season were labeling, labeling him a bust, right? Uh, mm-hmm. He didn't really make a huge impact in his rookie season that many of us would expect from a number four overall pick. And, and this year he, he has zero sacks, but, but, you know, we've been praising him from an analytics standpoint that, you know, he's been making an impact on a game. He's definitely, he's played better this season, but his contributions are not showing up on the box score. And I think it's, it's a similar situation with rugs that people who want to, you know, out there supporting him are, are pointing out the things that he does for the team that maybe are not showing up in the box score. And I get all that, but, but we're talking about an early pick, you know, we're talking about a, a fourth overall pick with Farrell and a, a, a 12th overall pick with, with rugs. These guys are supposed to be making instant impacts. And, and, you know, for me personally, I'd like to see more of a quantitative contribution, especially in the case of rugs, because I think he could just bring this offense to just a whole new level. Yeah, absolutely. If you pick a guy 12, you're not picking him to assist others to make plays. You're picking him also so that he can make plays. So I, I get your gripe on that one. And like I said, I, I'm not worried about rugs yet because I, f- I don't feel like he's involved now. So to me, it's more Gruden's issue or Carr's issue where, again, Carr has to trust him, but Gruden should be drawing up plays for this guy because, again, you you pick him at the top of you. He's the headline of your draft class. You have to get him involved. He can't catch he can't catch passes that are not going to him. So he, in order to to make a contribution, he has to have an opportunity. I just don't think he's getting enough opportunities. And again, I draw that line back to John Gruden. One other point I will make though is not to say that they didn't expect a lot from Aguilar, but I think Aguilar's emergence as a deep threat for Carr, though he has his drops, he is he, he's. I would say the main guy on the perimeter on the outside other than Waller. If Aguilar doesn't emerge as he does, I think Ruggs would be more involved. But because Carr has developed that rapport and that trust in Aguilar, it kind of hurts Ruggs' targets and his opportunities in the offense. 
Yeah, and, and that's a great point. I, I think Aguilar's uh, production, his his resurgence, is kind of cutting into maybe some of Ruggs' production, and and maybe that's how again that's how they were going to plan to use Ruggs. But you know what? You got to be creative and find another way to, to utilize that talent. You can't just say, "Well, we got Aguilar running the deep route now. We'll just you know we're just going to kind of put Ruggs off to the side." You still got to find a way to utilize what he can offer, and I just don't think they're doing a great job of that right now. Now we're going to move on. We could we could spend another hour talking about that topic, uh, but our, our next the next one. I want to hit on is is you know the Raiders currently sit at six and four right now and they hold the seventh spot and the final spot in the playoff uh, right now in the at the moment now the Ravens and the Dolphins they're also six and four and ahead of the six and four teams there are f- there's four other teams with a seven and three record so it's you know it's it's really tight in the AFC playoff picture right now still a lot of football to be played but I, th- I think a lot of people out there. Uh, realize that the Raiders were also six and four last year, right in the thick of it, but had a complete meltdown uh, in the final six games of the of the season, finishing one and five. But I think this year feels much different. What about you, Mo? Yeah, it feels much different to me. I tweeted about this earlier. The main difference is Carr's playing a lot better. And a lot of people want to compare Carr to last year, compare him to 2016. I think he's much better this year than he was in, I don't say much better, but moderately better than 2016 Carr right now. And I think he's much better than last year. So when your quarterback is playing well, you you have a better chance of winning games. As we know, that offense has some issues late last season. I don't think we'll see the same issues. Josh Jacobs is healthy. Devontae Booker can step in, even if he is nicked up. Uh, those two can run the ball pretty well. And I think even, despite the performance of the defense yesterday, uh, giving up 35 to the Chiefs, I, I, I think this defense will be will continue to improve down the stretch. Now, a lot of people want to say, well, the Raiders have an easy schedule. I wouldn't go that far, but I think there are games here where we can possibly see the Raiders defense make uh, make some strides, especially against the Jets. I'm not poo-pooing the Jets, but they haven't won a game yet. So I want to see a dominant game against the Jets from that defense. Uh, the Chargers, I know Justin Herbert is playing great. He is a rookie. I, I just want to see the Raiders rattle him a little bit the second time around. You have tape on him. You played him once. Maybe you change things around and, you, and give him some issues. So I think the defense could have a decent showing down the stretch as if they get players back especially. But again, I just go back to the quarterback position in that offense. I think the offense is is, is pretty much light years ahead of what it was last year. And I, and I don't see a collapse, even though people want to compare 6-4, and 6-4. Four, four. I, so I, don't, I don't see it, but I will say this. The Raiders are still going to have to scrap for a playoff spot because they still have to play Miami. They still have to play the Colts. And I think it's going to take 10 wins to get to the playoffs this year with the way the AFC is set up. Yeah, and I'm, I'm actually, I want to touch on the schedule myself in just a second, but I think you touched on a couple of the big things. Carr's playing much better. I think he, a lot of the things he's doing this year are just things that we did not see from him this year. I, I, I've talked a lot about how I didn't feel he made players around him better. I think he's definitely doing a, a better job of that uh, right now. And I just think that the team's just more talented too I, this year. you know. And, and I think another big thing is they're healthier right now. Now, one thing that does concern me is, is COVID presents a major obstacle especially what we've already talked about. The cases are not only on the rise throughout the country, but we're seeing an uptick in the NFL across the league. And the Raiders have been impacted as as, as much as any team by the COVID. But we, we, talking about the schedule, you know, when you look at the remaining schedule, and you talked a lot about some of these games, I, I think it looks very attractive. 
And I, I always tell people it's a week to week league, so I never want to circle in any any guaranteed win, wins. But you know, starting this week in Atlanta, followed by another East Coast trip to face the Jets. My God, if they don't destroy the Jets, I mean, the Jets look horrible. Joe Flacco. <laughs> I mean, come on, but, you know. But this is not to cut you off. But this is my point. Like there, there aren't any. I mean, after Matt Ryan, what quarterback are you really afraid of on the rest of the Raiders schedule? You're gonna have Joe Flacco or Sam Darnold. You're gonna have Philip Rivers. I know he yeah, looked good. Ju- against just Packers. Herbert. Herbert would be the only one that would right. strike some fear. Tua, Fitzpatrick, Drew Locke. I mean, the the Raiders should have a few defensive performances that can give them confidence if they were to make the playoffs this year. Yeah, yeah, and and they still have that that big head to head game with the Colts as well. Don't don't overlook that one. That's gonna that's gonna have major playoff implications. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Um, you know, and two of those teams you've already beaten that remain on the schedule, the Chargers and the Broncos. So, you know, again, from from a schedule set standpoint, it looks good. Anything less than nine wins at this point, I mean, where they currently stand, that's a major disappointment. And I would not be surprised if they get to 10 wins, but it's all there for the taking for the Raiders. Yeah, I feel like four and two should be the expectation. I mean, you expect to, you want to win all the games, but if you're going to have to say, well, where could the losses and wins come in? I I think four and two is a reasonable expectation for this team. And again, I think that could get them to the playoffs. It's a possibility. Again, I'm going to reiterate this again. It's a possibility a 10 win team gets left out, depending on how the schedule shakes out, though. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, four four and two would would put them at 10 and six. and, And, I know my my preseason prediction was nine and seven, so you know I'm I'm close. What what did you have, Matt Mo? Yeah, I had eight and eight, so I, I they they basically exceeded my expectations. I didn't expect the offense to play this well. I, I'll say that I expected the car to have a good season, but I didn't expect the offense to be this this much uh, lightning in a bottle. So uh, they exceeded my expectations there. And again, with the defense, I'm not saying you know Gunther is is safe or anything. And I'm not rooting you know saying Gunther deserves his job or anything. But I just feel like with teams that are under 500, teams that are struggling, I think. What we saw between weeks after the Cleveland game because of the weather, at, between weeks nine and ten, I think we can see more of the defensive progress, especially with Nick Nick Murrow playing pretty well. Uh, see what happens with Cleveland Farrell comes back. We're seeing Crosby pressure the quarterback more. They we talked about the additions they made. If they can get David Irving or Vic Beasley or Tack McKinley, one of those guys, if one of those guys can help the pass rush, they they could be in good shape. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. One, one last thing before we, we wrap it up this week and I want to look ahead to Atlanta and, you know, I really haven't begun to dive into Atlanta, so we'll just, you know, talk briefly, but the Falcons, uh, they did make a change with, with the head coach and general manager after an 0-5 start and, you know, they've responded quite nicely winning three of their next five games, but this is a game still, the, the Raiders should win. You know, the Falcons do have some guys that concern you. Julio Jones is always a dangerous matchup. He can still get it done. Kelvin Ridley is a very good young receiver. And and Matt Ryan, you know, he can still he can still he can sling it all over the yard. He's got a lot of yardage. Uh so you know it, it's a it's a offense that you still need to be concerned about, but the defense stinks, especially against the pass. Um they've been giving up a lot of points. Uh, but what are some of your early thoughts going into week twelve matchup with the Falcons? When you got a former league MVP, Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, if all those guys are suiting up, you better suit up. You better not overlook this team because I, I said it on Twitter. I believe the line is minus three for you betters out there. And basically Vegas is saying it, it could be pretty close. And then you're going to have two explosive offenses on the field at the same time. 
if if a defense doesn't step up and get some stops and you have a, a scoring shootout, anything could happen, especially when you're on the road if you're the Raiders in the Falcons building. So do not overlook Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Todd Gurley is also there. I know their defense hasn't done much. Sometimes their run defense could be a little tough as it was early in the season. It's kind of fell off in recent weeks, but the Raiders are going to have to come in, come in and have to play hard to win this game because I think it could be close. Yeah, you know, I wonder how much of an effect – you know, coming off of an you know an emotional kind of draining, hard fought loss, a, a big game, having to travel across country to the East Coast, if that would play any factor in this game. Well, the Raiders uh, in the past they've been prone to these letdowns, these you know go high emotion, and then come back and lose to a team that we all think they, they should have beaten. Uh, I don't think that's the case this year. I feel like Gruden's had these guys prepared to play in every game. So, again, unlike last year, this team is – I think their mentality is even different. And, and they had a lot of youngsters on the team last year. Now they got the experience. Now they know uh, we can't take the foot off the pedal, even if we are 6-4 and four at this point in the season. I, I think, again, I think they'll come ready to play. Now, will they win the game? We'll see. I, I, I would pick them to win. But I think they're prepared to beat the Falcons on Sunday. Uh, three point spread. I wasn't aware of that. That's uh, I would I would have expected it to be a little bit more, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. So, all right, I, I think we've covered it all for this week, Mo. Great job tonight with the recap, as always. And uh, I want to I want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Try not to eat too much and uh, enjoy the games on Thursday. I hope you get some some R and R. Try not to to work too hard on Thanksgiving. I know you're a workaholic, but uh, and let's hope that we're back here next week with a another Victory Monday uh, episode. Now, somehow, someway, I got to send you a red velvet cake for your birthday, man. That, that, uh, another happy birthday shout out to Evan Grode again for people. So I uh, hope you enjoy your Thanksgiving, you and your family. And I hope you you too. You I know you work a lot. You got things going on outside of football, outside of NFL and what we do. So I hope you enjoy your holiday as well. All right, guys, thanks for joining us this week. Make sure you are clicking the subscribe button. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at egrope 5 as well as Mo at Mo Moten. And of course, check out all the great content over at silverandblacktoday.com. Tune in later this week for the preview episode as the Raiders travel east to take on the Falcons. And for my co-host, Mo Moten, I am Evan Grote. Take care, everyone, and as always, just win, baby.